Alright, welcome back to another episode of Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. I am joined today by the usual John Chinaman and another member of YPT, uh, Hi C. Introduce yourself, Hi C. Hi, um, I'm Hi C. Uh, I hang out with John Chinaman. Um, use they, them pronouns. Uh, I've been getting into community defense, firearms over the last uh, year, year and a half or so. All right. Awesome to have you here. And our special guests. As said, you mentioned, I'm Didn't here I... too. All right. Never mind. John Chinaman. <laughs> um, yeah. And <laughs> our special guest for uh, this week is Jesse of Havalti Tactical. Uh, say hi, Jesse. Hello, it's me, Jesse. All right. So, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Jesse from Havalti is known for, better known for their um, tactical equipment um, accessories. So things like chest rigs, uh, dangler pouches is what they're really known for. Very minimalist designs, and they're very well made and excellent for the price, which is kind of what the usual uh, feedback has been. Uh, you've probably seen some of his products on Tactical Girlfriends uh, videos. And they're also uh, very into the competitive scene, the uh, IDPA, among uh, others. Uh, and are you, are you been doing uh, US, USPCA? Uh, I can't fucking even say it right now. But Yeah, I also shoot USPSA. I'm a B-class shooter in USPSA and uh, an A-class shooter in Steel Challenge. Excellent, yeah. Um and so what what we're trying to get into is more more or less their experiences in these really unique kind of areas, competitive shooting, um, kind of starting your own small business as a leftist in the firearm space, and going into gear designing. I think this, these are really interesting aspects, as well as some parts about uh, I guess uh, hands-on experience with martial arts as well. Um, so yeah, you know, just to start it off, Jesse, what got you into firearms? Just kind of a usual question we ask people on our show. Yeah, it's it's not unique, but uh, I'll say what most other people say, which is I grew up shooting guns. Um, my uncle actually was a competitive shooter, and he took me shooting a lot when I was younger. And as a little, uh, you know, baby teenager anarchist, I was really interested in the Spanish Civil War and the kind of uh, civil defense that came from using firearms to, you know, fight against bad things. And while maybe that's not my main you know, source of inspiration for firearms anymore. Uh, that led me to get my first handgun when I was 18 or 19 years old. Wow, that's great. I mean, yeah, it is almost like, I mean, not even almost, it, it totally is a cliche. Everyone tells like, oh, I, I grew up shooting guns, which, you know, almost means nothing. But it's really cool that even at a young age, you kind of drew the parallel between um, a gun ownership and community defense, self-defense, and, and, you know, defending one's right to exist, which I myself and a lot of people i know only kind of drew those ideas together way later in our lives um when kind of you know when starting your own business with uh havalti tactical i guess first of all where did the name havalti come from yeah so havalti is the kurdish word for friendship and um from what i understand in rojava which i've never been to uh it occupies a special uh a place in the revolution happening there this kind of friendship it's a revolutionary friendship, and people call each other Haval. Um, so I use the name Havalti because, you know, I'm I'm obviously not in Kurdistan, I'm not in Rojava, but I wanted to make a project where I could have the benefits of it go toward 
uh, what's happening there. So I sell benefit patches uh, on occasion to raise money for the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Internationalist Commune, and other groups over in Rojava and kind of practicing this uh, idea of Hovalti for myself through my business. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I really like, Jesse, is you called it, you know, Hovalti Tactical. I mean, Haval meaning friend, right? So, you know, people in leftist circles toss around, you know, comrade a lot. But I think, you know, calling each other a friend has a different, a different ring to it that I, that I really like. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, one of my friends once said, like, calling each other comrades corny as hell, call me Haval. And I thought it was like the funniest shit ever. And, you know, maybe we'll get into this later a little bit, but I really don't like the kind of Soviet worship that happens in leftist gun circles. And I really wish we'd call each other something other than comrade. That was funny the enough, the top uh, topic of conversation, I think, or slightly what we discussed with Odie not too long ago. So within the context of the sort of leftist small businesses in the firearm space, and there's only like really a handful that really most people know about. And what's great about like what you're doing is that like, it's all, it's pretty much all you, correct? It's mainly you're the one uh, designing the products. You're the one manufacturing, you're the one shipping them out to people. And you're the one doing also like quality control and customer service when people, you know, have, have concerns and or feedback for things that you're making. And, you know, from, from across the board and one of which I remember John Chinaman actually has a number of your products. Uh, you know, they'll t- tell you honest feedback and you're very receptive. You're more than welcome to replace things and, in you know, really like take into account for, to future products, I guess. How are you able to do that? Like how, how is that sort of, how do you manage a, a day-to-day life, you know, while doing all this kind of on your own? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question because more recently I, I feel like I haven't been able to do that. It's a lot of work and I've gotten some, you know, criticism from other people in the leftist gun space that uh, my products are too expensive, therefore they're worthless, or that my project is just a grift. Um, but really, it's a full-time job just to crank out a couple of hours of uh, sewing every day. Yeah, I mean, you really nailed it with the kind of spirit of the question, which is like, this is a lot of stuff to do. How do you do it? And the question, like the answer is, Sometimes I can't, and I'm really transitioning the way that I'm doing I business do, I right now. Do you think that's interesting that, you know, you've received, received criticism that, you know, your prices are too high because, um, you know, I have one of your compact dump pouches, and it's just interesting to me, the disconnect, right? Um, you think people on the left, like, understand that, like, you know, capitalism works people to the bone to get costs as low as they are and to really sort of do it in an alternative way is going to cost more. Um, and that's just surprising to me that more people, especially on the left, don't don't really understand that. Yeah, and going off that, Jesse, like, I don't understand how it's supposed to be a grift. Like, y- y- you advertise a product, which which I bought, right? I'm literally wearing it right now on this podcast. I'm, I'm wearing, <laughs> like, a 1.0 version of the chest rig, three AR mags. And so I, like, I bought a product, and you sent it to me. I don't understand how that's a grift. Like, what is grifting? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one of those words that just gets lost meaning over time because people on Twitter want to keep having hot takes and bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I don't get it either. It's, it, you know, I could I could go on about the kind of criticism I received, but, you know, to more like thoroughly answer the question, like what I'm really doing now is trying to get ahead of my orders and just produce what I want. I just recently started working full time and it's been hard to keep up with, uh, you know, this project that I'm calling Hevalti Tactical. 
because it is a lot of work. You know, now what I'm doing is making stuff I want to in the time that I have and then just offering what I've made rather than um, what I was doing before, which was taking pre-orders and having a backlog of orders and having lead times of three to five weeks in worst cases, even longer sometimes. So I've, I've really had to... Yeah, that that can be a, a nightmare. Yeah, it was it was really stressful. I kind of drowned in it for a while. I don't know how people like um, Jack over at Gorilla Tactical deal with the amount of work they do. I know that, you know, they have enough uh, orders coming in. That they have a little bit of a staff at least. And I'm in kind of like a weird spot where I was getting enough orders to keep me busy, but not enough to, you know, really warrant bringing in any help. Yeah, like it's... I've kind of gotten that sort of same thing from people. So for instance, like people who want to run their own podcasts or people that want to have their own presence on social media, start their own business. Not that we're a business of any kind, we're, we're not, but you know, they come to us and they're just like, well, like how did, how did YPT like get a following, et cetera. And I'm just like, well, none of us are doing it alone. Right. Right. I mean, we, we can't just do it alone unless we're, unless your tactical girlfriend, you can just do everything. Right. But like we, it, it's so same thing kind of, you know, applies to running a business or kind of coming out. Like, like you said, like it is, I think I totally agree. You shouldn't be doing back orders because you're just one guy. It, it is. If you, if you do back orders, you're going to quickly become the next optics planet where everyone's, everyone's flooding you with thousands of, you know, black back orders and you don't have a, you know, a, a chance in hell of fulfilling that in any t- realistic time frame. Like, absolutely not. Like, y- you would have to start hiring some people to fill in the manpower and to start, you know, uh, punching out those uh, those chess rigs. So, uh, yeah, definitely everything has a scale uh, to it. And I-, I would say my general advice to everyone trying to do anything is if you can if you can do it where it's not just you, absolutely, you know, do that. Like, yeah. It's funny, Jesse, because when I, when I ordered, like, I knew there was going to be a back. Like, I knew I was just going to wait. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's... That's sort of like the price you pay for like quality and custom, right? You can't, you're just one guy. I mean, you can go online and just order like some sort of like three mag panel off Amazon from Condor or whatever, who just pumps them out like in a factory somewhere. But if you want something, you know, like handmade, like craftsmanship, like, yeah, you're going to have to wait. It just, it just is what it is. I mean, like Heisey was saying, like, that's how capitalism goes. Like just dudes pumping them out in a factory somewhere. It's just not really, it's not really the same way that we do it. Right. I mean, apologies, but, you know, Jesse is not spirit of systems. Um, so the transition kind of wrote right quick. What kind of is your process in when you actually design these products? What's your design philosophy and um, I guess goals for the most part for your customers? Yeah, for sure. So I'll just preface this by saying that I did go to design school and that's where this project was kind of born out of, um, you know, this didn't start as a student project or anything, but the education there for prototyping and making was definitely from my time in design school. Um, sewing for me is a, is a really new skill. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I thought, you know, I've had a lot of hobbies in the past, um, but none of them have been like toward making money. So like, what if I tried uh, developing a skill that I could, you know, get something personal out of instead of just enjoying it. And, um, that's where sewing came into play. I saw, you know, Jack over Grill Tactical having a lot of success making Kydex uh, objects and before then uh, forging knives. And, you know, I looked at the space and, you know, my training as a designer and 
before I went to design school, I got a degree in user experience design that had a lot of business aspect. Um, you know, I saw a need for, or at least a space for a, a nylon manufacturer in the kind of left uh, milieu. <laughs> Remind me what question I'm answering real oh, quick. Oh, sorry. I uh, just like about like the process of when you're designing these products and like what's sort of the goal for your customers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, sewing is new to me. Uh, I, I found this space that I could operate in, which is, you know, nylon goods um, in this milieu. And it my process is really just a kind of back and forth between what am I technically able to do and uh, what should be in existence. And specifically, I will not clone anything that I like. That's just not good design, though. I will say my fanny packs are similar to other things in the market because I think that's just a good design. It's a box with a zipper, and that's all it needs to be. Um, otherwise, don't fix what ain't broke. Yeah, absolutely. But also, I'm not gonna like take a poorly designed thing and then make somebody a custom copy of it. Um, and also, just like the the least amount of design possible is good design is something that you know Dieter Rahm said, who was a German designer who worked for Braun, and. I don't think he was right about everything, but I definitely vibe with that kind of sentiment. And that's where kind of the inspiration for the minimalist chest rigs comes from. And, you know, the minimal compact dump pouches and the other products that I make. That's basically why I bought it. Like the sort of minimalist, minimalist design, less stuff. Like I didn't really want a lot of features, like at least because I'm, I'm just, if you listeners to this podcast, I'm an owner of a uh, dump pouch, uh, two chest rigs and two fanny packs um i've been a I've done a lot of patronage from jesse here and yeah the, the the minimalist design is something that really appeals to me uh sort of aesthetically and also from a user aspect yeah and absolutely and if you want more than what i can offer like it doesn't hurt my feelings to go and buy something that's more robust um <laughs> i don't think you should buy my stuff just because i'm on the same team as you i think you should buy it because it fulfills a need that you have or does it fixes a problem that you have I like, yeah, no, I, I agree 100% with that because I, I feel like way too many people on the left just kind of blindly throw money at things just because someone happens to align with them politically speaking instead of looking at like what tangibly is this going to be solving for me. Um, totally, 100%. And it's great that you, like, you're, you're, you're very transparent about that because uh, I feel like some people aren't. I don't think some people are just like, oh, I'll, I'll take whatever money you're giving to me and then almost borderline pretend that i know what i'm doing in that regard in that space um when it so along those lines actually so what did you think was um oh well, i guess two-parter what are your current thoughts on a the leftist owned uh firearm accessory space and then what do you think is kind of missing in general in that space that's a tough question um i think that you know, I have a lot of complicated thoughts and a lot of uh, ideas that aren't quite fleshed out, but uh, it's going to be a long time before anything like our own ecosystem of gear replaces what's already available. I know that uh, people want to, you know, vote with their dollars and not send it to, you know, ex-private military contractors who are running these um, gear companies and that kind of thing, or, you know, current private military contractors, whoever is owning these things. Right, right um, on. I don't, I don't think that's feasible, and I don't think that that should be a goal right now either. I think that 
there are a lot better ways to spend our time and money that are have more tangible benefits than trying to replace a market that already exists. And a lot of that gear is just good. And it, there's a reason that it's popular. As far as like what actually like constructive things I can say about like what does it need? I don't know. We'll have to get dialectic about it and have a conversation. <laughs> I'm curious to hear what um, some of the people here think. I mean, ultimately, in terms of gear, right? Like, yeah, I would like to buy like gear from someone I know, who's someone who sh you know, shares my values, that kind of thing. But ultimately, in terms of firearm gear, firearm equipment, this everything that you use, you know, to run your rifle or run your pistol or carry your medical supplies, like anything like that, is potentially going to be life-saving gear. And when it's you know, when it's life-saving gear, you, I don't have the luxury of just saying like, okay, I want to buy something because you know I like this person. And they share my views. Like I just got to get the best I can afford, ultimately. And in terms of your products, like these are good, and I use them all the time, and I'm very confident in them. But it, it, it's definitely in terms of at least the gear space. You can't just say you you don't have the luxury of just saying like, okay, I'll just I'll buy something because I like that. I like the person and their views. Yeah. Uh. Well. Yeah. What's the old saying? There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I mean, yeah, more or less, kind of applies here. Like, um choose it like you know ethical consumption like they'll sell you the rope uh you right know, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so i think it, it it is a little thing where people get way too hung up in that in that regard and i i agree jesse like it's uh it's there are more productive things we could be doing than just trying oh well let's try to replace replace all this entire industry that's been there like long before since i've been alive and long before my, my family has been alive like no this has been a huge byproduct of the military industrial complex like you, we have to dive even deeper than just a current consumer market if we want to talk about uh replacing this entire end with ethical businesses so to speak right and here's something that i that i've thought about a lot right so say you are someone on the left and like you want to start you know, making, making gear and say you want to do it you may want to make high quality gear and you want to do it as, you know, like your main job, like that would be your only job. You want to start your own company, right? Like if you wanted to do that, like how many people in the firearm owning left are there who want to buy who, like how big's your market, right? Like, you know, someone says, okay, I need a shingle for my carrier, right? My options are you know, Havalti and, you know, Spiritus or, you know, Pharaoh or whatever the hell. Right. So how many people can, can you, could you even do it as a, as a living considering that the market for that, you know, sort of leftist gun owners who want very high quality products and they have a lot of options to choose from, like, could you even do that? You know what I mean? Right. And the time and resources that you'd be putting into that project, right. Of, you know, of what John was saying there is like, like, you know, I would argue is better served putting into your community as mutual aid or like volunteering or like learning skills. Right. Um, cause again, that market's like very small. Maybe the market will be bigger sometime down the road. I mean, I know all of us here in this, in this session, all of us together, including you, Jesse, like we all spend time, uh, teaching people how to use, how to use, how to use firearms in a, in a community that's underserved by people who are, you know, who, Either people don't feel safe going to other people to learn how to use firearms or just in general, just don't have a lot of firearm knowledge. Maybe it'll be bigger in the, in the future, but you know, it's it frankly be better served, at least in my opinion, to try to help grow that community. Yeah, absolutely. I think that those are all good statements <laughs> and good positions to have. And especially the, the thing you said, Heisey, about that energy could totally be put into building community. Um, 
there's there's still a lot of work to do to you know connect with each other and find friends i i and i agree i mean that's sort of the where where reality hits um your ideas right is the whole like well i'm only gonna be catering towards the the militant left or whatever i'm like okay i mean that's all well and fine but like don't delude yourself to thinking that's gonna be a sustainable business like if that's a side thing you do okay that's all that's all well and fine i don't care what you do with that but you know there is a reality there's a material consequences where if you want to if you start you know so, so to speak alienating people and i i agree and i think there are great leftist orgs that take that approach of, of being yeah, we have our own stances, but here's a uh, a way of saying it where it's more accessible, where it's not just instantly kind of attacking anyone, so to speak. Um, I think that's great. The and I, actually, I was going about I was about to ask you a question about people kind of uh, advise people starting out in this business, and you kind of answered already, so I really appreciate that. Um, you know, moving on because you're also really big in the competitive scene and and shooting, and I actually had a chance to come. Uh, to your area and shoot with you it was kind of funny like funny story I'm like in the middle of driving and I get a text from Jesse and he's just like hey get in the car loser we're gonna go to an IDPA match and I'm like oh all right so that's that's how I, I had my first match with, with uh, Jesse a lot of fun um, and because I've always I had always wanted to go do competitive shooting it always felt a little intimidating but it's actually a lot easier than, than I thought and was very much allowed to get more into it when I when I have more time but so in the competitive scene i guess kind of you kind of already answered that sort of question the first one when you said you were always into shooting anyways and your and your family member your uncle i believe was already into shooting and so what would you say is the most important skill for competition shooting yeah if i can go on a small tangent too is just like some advice for people who are thinking about selling gear whether it's making stuff reselling stuff more alpaches clothing whatever it doesn't serve you well to be a shop specifically for the militant left. And I've seen a lot of these little small shops pop up on Instagram, that sort of thing. Um, taking this position of like anti-fascist gear for Antifa warriors, <laughs> like, you know, maybe not that thing exactly, but that kind of sentiment. And um, like everyone's money is good. Obviously we don't want to be like furthering the projects of people who um, would rather kill us or our friends, but um, you know, there's something to be said about doing things a little bit softer and, you know, letting people who are, you know, friendly toward you kind of know where you're coming from, but also, uh, just like it's a business, just be a business and make and sell stuff or, you know, sell stuff otherwise. That's a, that's actually a great answer. I wasn't expecting that, but I also 100% agree. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I definitely would echo all of what Jesse just said, because um, I've been trying to get more folks into competitive shooting just from the perspective of like, this is a good opportunity to practice a lot of skills that you need defensively. Um, and a lot of people just seem very intimidated. But uh, to be honest, um, my third day of shooting, I was like shooting in a competition, like third day of having a gun in my hands. And like, again, it was just like the matter of safety. And like, as long as you are being safe that's the biggest thing and there's so many things to learn as you're doing that yeah uh it's, it's a great answer because i i think 
there's a lot of people who like like you said like oh i grew up with guns all my life or they have like 10,000 guns and like oh i'll, I'll just get into the competitive scene and just sort of just like okay it's just going uber fast looking cool for the camera it's like kind of all that matters but then it's like i say this all the time like it doesn't matter how cool you think you are or how great of a shot you are if you're unsafe with your firearm to me it doesn't matter anymore now you're just a threat you're a liability to everyone around you and yourself and it kind of just defeats the purpose of even having that gun in the first place like there's there are a bunch of uh you know wannabe uh commando youtube stars who do this shit all the fucking time and it's ridiculous it's like how the hell does anyone have any have any respect for you as a gun owner when you violate the every every rule of the safety rules that everyone recites every time they give you a gun so yeah uh that's that's a great answer uh, you know Along those lines, what would you say are the skills from competition shooting that can kind of transfer to everything else you do with a firearm? Whether that be defensive shooting or, um, you know, uh, defensive shooting, hunting, whatever, whatever you may be doing with a firearm. Yeah, it's it's a disappointing answer, but it's just safety. And um, I'll tell you, I've taken a lot of people to go shoot for the first match. And I've seen people with really poor gun handling skills, you know, the same people who, you know, quote unquote, have been shooting their entire life may have been doing it with poor habits the entire time. And I've seen that a lot. Um, If you shoot with any consistency in the competitive circles, you will learn safer gun handling skills. Absolutely. Uh, It's not something that's innate to being a good shot. It's something that comes with practice and, uh, that's really the most important skill to shooting competitively. You can shoot as slow as you want to and as accurately or as poorly as you want to. As long as you do it safe, you'll have a good time competing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I and uh, I think that applies to a lot of things in life you do, period. Like when you, when you, when you play a sport or you do uh, like a hobby that's kind of game-based, you're more than likely doing that against people, right? So at some level, you are doing it where you are testing that skill set, even if it's casual, even if, even if it's a, considered like a sparring match or whatever, right? And I, I think it is a, especially in the gun space, it's a very, uh, especially, tr- especially true in regards that people have a higher opinion of themselves simply because they do this hobby or they own a firearm. And deep down inside, there's a level of insecurity or intimidation where they don't want to put that on the line at any level. Even if, even if it's not even like high stakes, even if it's just, Hey, here's a timer. Use a, use a, use a shot timer. Let's see, let's just see it. Right. And so few people actually want to go to that step. And what you'll find is life is about failing and getting better. And so you shouldn't be afraid of that process. And you should get your ego way out of the way because you are getting in the way of yourself of getting better. And I think that applies especially to firearms. Probably more so with firearms than most things I've ever participated in. Uh, Next, the second worst, uh, that being like martial arts where a ton of people can just do whatever the hell they want inside of the context of their small little circle, but then they won't try to go against a non-compliant opponent or try to entertain the idea of sparring. So yeah, like it, it, you know, a lot of people want to look down on sports shooting, like competitive shooting, but ignore the fact that there's a, a whole lot of good things that come out of it. High reps, uh, pressure testing yourself, consistency, speed, and accuracy. And I, I really do think uh, a lot of it just comes – the criticism comes from a place of, of insecurity, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that after you've learned the fundamentals of shooting and you've handled a gun enough, 
um, the only way to get better is to compete um, or I guess in some like weird edge cases like be surrounded by other people who are good at shooting somehow and doing it in a dynamic environment um, which doesn't happen very often but like USPSA you can go sign up in a squad and be shooting with grandmasters and masters who are just absolutely good shots so like I really think that if you want to be good at shooting, like at some point you have to start putting your skills to the test. Um, you can think you're a good shot or you can think you have good handling skills, but until you put it on the clock and surround yourself by people who are better than you, you don't know what you're missing out on. Um, so just competitive shooting just all around just makes you a better shooter. Whether you're talking defensively, tactically, whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, it's that whole Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like, you don't know what you don't know, and the people who are really good know that they don't know a lot. The people who are really bad know they don't know a lot, but everyone else in the middle just thinks they're better than they are. Um, I mean, like, shooting competitively just, like, keeps you humble. You know, the other night I was in a match, and there was this guy who was shooting faster than everyone else, and all his groups were the size of my palm, you know? Like, he was insane. Um, and honestly, I think it's also something that just motivates you too, right? To like, okay, let me get out there. Let me get better, right? Let me get those faster splits, get those smaller groupings. Yeah, I, it's a, that's a very common thing. It's like you, a lot of people don't even know what being good looks like. They don't even, there's no context. And so it's, it's, it, it is, again, a humbling experience. Like if you do, I mean, me, me going into sparring for like, the first time ever in Muay Thai and getting utterly obliterated by my coaches. Like that's a humbling experience. It's like, Oh, I thought it was hot shit. Cause I can, I can do a spinning back kick. Oh, it doesn't matter. Like you don't have cardio. You don't have athleticism. You don't have the, uh, the mindset to understand like strategy and, and tech and tactics. It's like, no, you don't know shit. And so, um, I think, yeah, if, if you're going to be in this space, we're not saying you have to be, a top level grandmaster competitive shooter. That's not the point. The idea is though, is that, you know, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to take risks because it only serves to better you in, in every way possible. And if anything, I think it also builds less assholes who think they know more what they, than what they do know. So less assholes is always a good thing, which unfortunately is, I mean, groups and splits Monday, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't matter if you're good. It doesn't matter if you're good. None of us care if you're good, but are you showing improvement? Are you meeting the goal, the goals? you set for yourself that's really what's important yeah yeah and i think uh i know we do that right splits and group mondays you know dry fire mondays i know arm your friends does some of some of that too like you tag your friends and hey you know just post a video of yourself doing it like we don't even care what the result really is you know at the end of the day and i i know some people who get like intimidated by that like they don't want to do it etc i'm like i have to make a statement being like it's not about how fast you are i don't care just just do it just do something yeah i think the dunning kruger effect is like a really good way of explaining that too um and like the level of shooting that you see in uspsa is just absolutely out of control people are so much better at shooting than you like know is possible and you could be like the best tactical shooting instructor and come in and be a c-class shooter in uspsa and you still have to move through be a master and grandmaster if you want to you know get to that top level i got i got one for you jesse um i so one of the things that in terms of you know showing showing up for someone who's thinking about showing up to their to their first competition uh what tips would you have 
for them. And also with regards to showing up to a space that might be, you know, filled with, you know, the, the general people that we see in like mainstream gun culture, which are, you know, generally white, generally men, uh, you know, generally straight, you know, how, how would you feel to someone who wanted to shoot their first match who didn't, who didn't, you know, fit that, fit that box? That's a, it's a hard question for me to a- answer because I'm just like a white dude. So <laughs> <laughs> there's only so much that I have to do when I go, but I will tell you, even as just like, you know, a stock white dude, I did like pull up some pictures of Lucas Botkin and look at clothes he's wearing. And then I just like bought that shit on Amazon. Like <laughs> I have my kind of blue and white flannels and I got my faded blue jeans. Holy shit. That's like, <laughs> yeah, kind of amazing. I got, I got my, my, my baseball cap with the local like tactical training group on it or whatever. But, um, I will say out of like the different kinds of competitions, um, USPSA is generally the more welcoming one. Um, it's the tougher one, in my opinion. Uh, but it's a whole bunch of nerds in shorts who just shoot really well. Whereas um, competitions like IDPA, you'll definitely hear conspiracy theories about how you know China is staffing solar wind farms in Nevada so that they can invade mainland America. <laughs> True story. Um, and when you go, you know, further out into rural areas where they're doing more what we refer to as outlaw matches, so like matches that aren't affiliated with any national group, um, that's where it really gets down and dirty and, you know, you start to have militias and that sort of thing. So, I mean, one piece of advice I could give is try to stick to USPSA if it's an option for you. Um, in general, it's been one of the more welcoming spaces that I've seen. Um, I guess number two, just like Lucas Botkin, I guess regardless of gender, it's a good look um, for showing up to a match. So we're talking baseball cap. We're talking skinny jeans. We're talking some flannels, sunglasses, yeah, for and sure. then doing a lot of doing a lot of spazzy movement and shooting, and not actually confirming any of your shots. No, we'll like, just yeah. keep it to the aesthetics. Also, you got to talk oh, like you're at one and a half times speed, like just like constantly, yeah. just like talking super fast. Jesse, how, how how much time should I spend before my first match looking on eBay for a Ford Operations Group baseball hat? <laughs> I mean, that's that's a yeah dude one. i'll sell you mine <laughs> i i bought one just so i could blend in like i'm i'm not joking when i say that i i play dress up to go to these shooting <laughs> matches even as a stock white dude <laughs> how much you want for it buddy how much are they going for 200 or something <laughs> um probably something probably something completely insane <laughs> yeah um yeah, I mean, I'm sorry I don't have, like, a, a good answer. I mean, I know, um, like, I my partner... definitely, like, weigh in a little more on that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, as a person of color and somebody who's, like, in the LGBT community, like, you know, um, depending on the match that you show up to, right? Like, I'm somebody who was raised as a boy, but, like, you know, at the match on Monday, I'm wearing my hella chipped nail polish. Um, that's just what happens when you wear nail polish and like have firearms and also go climbing. It just gets fucked up. But like, you know, nobody really said anything or gave a shit. Um, just cause again, it's like USPSA, right? Like I've been at IDPA matches and it's definitely a little more fuddy. Um, and the biggest thing I would say is just like, go with a group of friends, squad up with your friends that way you're not like surrounded by a bunch of chuds when you're competing. Cause, um, that's not fun. Um, and then hopefully, ideally, you have friends who are better than you, so you can still sort of see better shooters and, like, learn from them, too. Um, but, yeah, like uh, Jesse said, you know, kind of go stealth with your clothing, right? Don't, like, wear anything that's, like, too crazy. Go very bland. Go very 
what would Lucas Bakken wear? <laughs> yeah, the uh, this is like a topic of, of conversation that uh, Alejandro and I had had uh, covered as well. Just just its general range uh, attire, like common sense, right? Because I know people who have almost lost access or have lost access to a gun range because it decided to go overtly leftist. I'm just like. If you use common sense, you should understand that that's not a good idea. Uh, you just just don't do that. Like I, you know, and I, the fact that I have to explain this to people blows my blows my fucking mind because it's like, oh, you want to no longer have access to a gun range to train? Oh, all right, well that's on you because you want to open your mouth. Like, okay, so unfortunately, that's that's the world we live in. You know, um, in terms of the, uh, I think we're going to touch upon this earlier, but. Bringing, if say for instance someone only did, I don't know, quote unquote, tactical defensive shooting stuff or whatever, versus someone that does a lot of competition, what do you think is the major skill set that can be brought over to someone that's never done competition? So maybe, maybe for instance, you're talking to a skeptic. The the audio is cutting out a little bit. Can you ask me that question? Just say again? for instance, if you're talking to a skeptic of competition shooting, as someone that only does quote unquote like defensive shooting drills or whatever. Um, what would you say is a valuable skill set that carries over from competition to them? Like that you try and you would say like, Hey, this is, this would only help you. Yeah. There's nothing bad about shooting more accurately and faster. And that's what skills you'll learn. Um, I mean, ultimately you're sitting around for like three or four hours and you're shooting a total of two minutes um, throughout the day. And like, you are going to learn something It's like your gun is going to break for the first time. Or you're going to learn that you suck at double taps because you have to shoot every target at least two times. Um, like, you cannot leave the match without learning something or finding something to work on for next time. And, you know, as a, you know, quote unquote tactical shooter, you want to be good at doing double taps and you want to be good at transitioning between targets and you want to be good at, you know, your footwork and all that sort of thing. Like, there's nothing to lose except for, I mean, you could lose a match, I guess. Or a finger if you're stupid and unsafe. But, um, yeah, when I, like, speaking from my experience, I've only ever done my first match with you. And there was a ton to take away from that. It was, it was you know, me jumping into it, I did reasonably okay. I was, like, almost dead middle out of the competition um, using your gun that you, were, you that you had handed me. And the instantaneous, like, yeah, oh, yeah, my, my, my double taps need to be more on point. I need to be more consistent with my how I'm uh, acquiring targets, uh, footwork to be more efficient to get to your targets faster, navigating uh, barriers so that you know, you're know you not crowding it or you're not too far away so you can actually see more of your target in a faster amount of time. Um, uh, especially when things, uh, speed comes into play when they start doing those targets where it's like it flips out and then it flips back into play so you have to really just ah, you know get that in there, your timing in there. Um, those uh, stages where it's like a fan of six targets, which is actually it's a lot more fun because you're not having to move at all, but that's like pure target, you know, acquisition and transitioning uh, there. And you know, it's what's humbling is the fact you know our squad that we're shooting with it was a dude that was what, shooting a Glock, and obviously he's been there for a very long time, extremely experienced. And he, I believe he won second place, and he was fucking a zoning almost everything, you know, using a Glock. I'm over here with a your pistol caliper carbine missing shots I shouldn't be fucking missing. I'm like, damn, that dude puts in the work. That's real humble, humbling experience that this dude, and he, he he had like two new shooters with him, like some family members and friends too. So it kind of shows you like, 
oh, like there's a positive role model here. Just, I don't know his politics. So I'm not going to fucking ask. I could probably guess, but you know, he's out here bringing in new people, getting them out of their comfort zone. And they're clearly new shooters and that's okay. They, they were taking their sweet time making these targets, their, their shots count. And that's okay. Like no one was giving them shit for it. And they only, they were caring about like, oh, ne- I know what I need to do better the next stage or next time I come here. And so that that's like what I wanted to show everyone like is, is that, we have people who are doing this longer than you've been alive versus people who've only just started a, a month ago, right? And I think it is indeed for everyone if you can, you know, present yourself that way. Um, you said that guy came in second place. Who came in first? <laughs> uh, the guy we're talking to, Jesse. <laughs> for those who don't know, for just those who don't know, yeah, yeah. Jesse wanted me to just say it out loud. Just for, for those who don't know, like Jesse, like regularly gets first place, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Not in USPSA. The, the level of competition in USPSA is much higher than my skills. I I just want to reiterate, I'm not a USPSA winner. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, IDPA. I mean, that's still nothing to, nothing to, 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 you know, laugh off, you know. That's, that's impressive. We can't all have the time and commitment and the sheer focus and determination as, like, J.J. Rikaza, right? That guy is... Utterly insane. Yeah. I, I think one of the one of the like understated benefits to shooting in competition is that we got a lot of we got a lot of people who like you know follow us or respond and they're out in like the Pacific Northwest or out you know in Utah or something right and they can just go out to the desert right and like move and shoot and like do whatever they want right here on the here on the Eastern Seaboard. I mean, it's really there's a lot of you know I drive hours to go to the place to go to the place where I shoot right. And for, for people who are in this area, going to US, uh, going going to any sort of competition might be one of the only times where they can do things that they can't do on just, you know, regular old indoor range, namely target transitions, uh, movement, or even just firing fast. You know, we've all been to a range where it's like, oh yeah, you gotta take two seconds between shots. Like you just, you can't, you can't rapid fire. You can't double tap, like that kind of thing. Yeah, FUD ranges are an abomination yeah, sure. at that place. But uh, I want to touch on something that IAC mentioned in passing earlier, which is you can squad with your friends. And I think it would be nice before our time is up if I told people how to get into a competition. Totally, yes. Please do. The answer is really practicescore.com. There's a website called practicescore.com, and that's basically the hub for where matches are around you. And on that website, you will see different kinds of matches. You kind of click through you'll see it's IDPA or it's USPSA or it's Steel Challenge or it's two-gun, three-gun, whatever it is. And um, you just read up on the rules and you sign up and show up and there will be people there to help you. It's really that simple. Um, if you do have the privilege of being a stock white dude like me, like please do start going to competitions on your own if you have to and try to make space or give a feel for... like people who don't look like you to see if it's something that would be right for them. Um, so just go to practice score, look up what's in your area and, you know, read up on the rules. There are plenty of YouTube videos of like, what are IDPA rules? What are USPSA rules? And I would encourage people to start with steel challenge if it's available in their area. It's um, a kind of competition where they're an array of five steel targets and you shoot them in any order. As long as you shoot the last play last, which is designated as the stop plate. And um, 
it's the least dynamic and it's a lot of fun. I, I do want to, sorry, I just want to like add like Jesse's point about like, you know, if you are like a cis white guy, like he is like, I think that's a huge thing that you could do as an ally for like other marginalized, you know, for marginalized folks in your gun communities is like scout out places like that. Cause um, it can feel hella unsafe as somebody who like does not fit that to like go on your own. So that's definitely a big thing that like, you know, if you're somebody who looks like that, that's a huge right on. Yeah, totally. And you, you, you mentioned Jesse that this is fun. Sometimes I think people forget that guns are fun and it's fun to shoot. And it's not just dry firing in your bedroom all the time. Dry firing should be fun, is my opinion. That's my official stance. It's more fun when you do it with your buddies in in a sweltering garage at noon and you're just dehydrated and you feel like trash. That's fun. So, um, you know, moving on, because I guess what's not too much, uh, what's what's not widely known about you is your Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. So you're a brown belt. uh, And I guess... What sort of made you lean towards more grappling and specifically jiu-jitsu but among the many other you know systems out there? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the thing that I say about jiu-jitsu and, and what I really like about it is that it's a combat sport in which you can, you can go 100% and, uh, you know, take it to the edge of disabling somebody or inca- incapacitating them otherwise and there's no harm in it. Um, the person just taps or, um, you know, in some cases passes out rare, but, uh, the unique thing about jujitsu compared to, you know, boxing and Muay Thai, which are sports I respect a lot is that you really get to learn what works and what doesn't work because there's no bullshit. You go a hundred percent and you learn what happens when you, when you mess up or when you do something right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. Because I, I mean, I think it just falls just in line as well with competitive shooting. It's, this is the competitive space at some level. You are testing yourself to a degree, to a standard, to other people and the, the bullshit and ego no longer matter. Like I, I, I've been in a gym with people in, in, in Muay Thai and they're just like, Oh, you know, I've, I've been here for like six months, man. Like I, I, I know a lot. And, I'm the one holding pads for them and they can't do like a straight punch correctly without putting their hands down. They can't do a kick correctly. And sort of like, okay, like this isn't even sparring, but this is, this is a context in which you're testing yourself at some level. And like, I can tell where the bullshit comes out and it's, it's 100% true. Jiu-jitsu on the mat going with someone, there is no lying to yourself when someone has their forearms across your fucking trachea or your carotid artery. And well, yeah, which is, I think within the context of martial arts, a lot of, the combative sporting competitive scene has the has that you know luxury that privilege of hey being like i know what works for me in this context versus a lot of traditional martial arts which i have a traditional art, martial arts background i have a ton of respect for that but i also accept that a lot of that scene that culture comes with a lot of people that want to lie to themselves or bs to the, to a degree of what their skill set is and have a very uh, inflated idea of who they are because a lot of that does not include a regular practice of, of pushing yourself, you know, to a degree, to a standard. And yeah, I, I totally agree too that ju, uh, jujitsu has that luxury of not having to get brain damage constantly or the possibility of getting the shit kicked out of you 
uh, because you happen to go against an overly aggressive partner. Although, you know, granted, you, there is a possibility you go to an overly aggressive jiu-jitsu partner who, like, snaps your, your ACL or, or your, your knee because they didn't understand or care about uh, respect the tap. But that, to me, my experience is very rare. Um, sure. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a, is a grappling sport. Uh, it could look like wrestling, I guess, is a way that you would explain it to somebody who doesn't know anything at all about it. Um, we all have some kind of context of what wrestling looks like. Uh, however, the goal is to incapacitate your partner or opponent using joint locks or strangulation techniques. Um, whereas in wrestling, it's about putting someone on their back and that's how you win or whatever. Um, it's really similar to judo, a sport that I also practice uh, or have practiced in the past and have a lot of respect for. It is unlike the striking sports of Muay Thai or boxing or even Taekwondo or karate in that we do not punch each other. We do gain advantageous positions in which we can land superior strikes in relation to the other person. Um, and I trained on a team that was really heavy in MMA for a long time. I trained with pro MMA fighters and we mixed in MMA with our jiu-jitsu training. But um, that's not necessarily the focus of jiu-jitsu. And it's different from traditional martial arts in that, you know, there's kind of a new era of, of martial arts we call combat sports. And to me, that includes jiu-jitsu, boxing, wrestling, uh, Muay Thai, and judo. Um, and those are really where I would push someone into learning uh, a fighting sport or a self-defense system is any of those. And I've done all of them at least a little bit. Uh, I've been kicked so in the like head enough all to know one that time probably that I prefer to not get kicked in the head anymore. Yeah, I haven't learned that lesson yet. Apparently, it 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 does take one time um, to not want it to happen again, for sure. When I think uh, soju operator, I think about a guy who's taken many kicks to the head. <laughs> yeah, I had I had a fucking overzealous eighteen-year-old uh, amateur fighter who is like both younger than me and more experienced than me and a hell of a lot more athletic than me in a sparring <laughs> match, try to take my head off with his foot. And he gave me my first ever cauliflower year. It was fucking fantastic. Um, yeah. But you know, that that's, that is what Jesse's talking about and that you don't really necessarily have to worry about getting your head kicked off your shoulders in jujitsu. Not usually. Yeah. That's not a typical Friday. Um, I've definitely had like, teeth go through my lip and stuff like that and you know some fingers don't go straight anymore but Jesus it's, all, it's minor stuff it's just a flesh Sean's reaction there um to put jujitsu in more of a defensive context I, I have very limited experience with it which is basically just my friend teaching me shit in a public park but um from like a defensive perspective not just like you know uh sport or competitive perspective what do you think is something that's like appealing or sort of useful about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu compared to say like, you know, striking martial arts in, in a defensive context. Yeah. So you can watch videos of street fights and how they go down. And the truth is, even if you're a good boxer, if you just get hit good one time, you can go down. Um, Jiu-Jitsu is about mitigating the ability of someone to land an effective strike on you as much as it is anything else. And jiu-jitsu teaches you how to control the distance and get into those zones where knockout punches don't happen so well. Um, you can find plenty of videos online of uh, early days of jiu-jitsu. Like, for example, let's say like UFC 1 through 4, where it was a single 
round elimination tournament uh, between different fighting styles. And jiu-jitsu is really effective at mitigating striking arts when done defensively and when you train for that kind of uh, that context, which I think anyone who's trained jiu-jitsu for a long enough time has had enough hours doing it that they understand you know, that approach to mitigating uh, heavy strikes through uh, controlling the distance between you and a partner. Um, so jiu-jitsu, even though it doesn't teach you to knock someone out, it'll go a long way into helping you not get knocked out. And it'll also help you just control someone else's body, which is very crucial in a defensive uh, moment. Yeah, as someone that primarily does striking martial arts, and I would love to get back into grappling if I had more time, but um, think about this as a, a, context, a context of a gun owner. Um, pr- what's probably going to serve you best in a self-defense scenario in the context of, of carrying a weapon on you, like a firearm on you, is that retention is very important. And when someone's going for your gun, which is a very scary scenario that I will, you know, I guarantee you 90% of people who own guns don't even think about this scenario, um, is f- defending yourself and without someone taking your gun from you and then using to shoot you because that is a, uh, that no longer has anything to do with how good you are at the range, how good your splits are. It's everything to do about you, yourself, your physical capabilities and of, you know, of surviving. Um, just, you know, I've done just for fun for, for people, like we'll, we'll get fake guns and we'll try to fight for retention and just make it a, like, a, like a wrestling match and who can get the, the gun off. And then like that tells you a lot about yourself right then and there. Uh, you should look look up videos of uh, Craig Douglas's ECQC classes. That's perfect representation because he, he hyper focuses on that aspect. That, that small range where it's no longer boxing, it's definitely no longer kicking range, definitely not shooting range. It's in your face. You, your, sh- your shooting means nothing at this point in time. And the only thing that's going to save you is how you know, how do you know, how can you manipulate your own body around Sansa's body? And um, in Craig Douglas's class, they'll, they'll make you put on the helmet, the mouth guard, the, the mil sim guns, and then make you drill it. Like you will go to full on fight in compromised positions. You will be on your back and it's on the top of you, trying to take the gun off of you from your from your holster, or you'll be inside of a car and now you're cramped. And all the truth comes out. I've said before, truth comes out. People have a time uh, shoot their own hand, right? Because they're trying to get the other person off of them. Shoot their own foot. Uh, sometimes they never even get the gun get the gun out of their own holster. Like all kinds of stuff. Uh, I, I've had friends take those kind of classes, and it's like uh, this guy is like a black belt or whatever martial art, but it didn't matter because I punched him in the face and shot him in the face. So it's like you know all these things sort of add up. So in that regard. I I 100% agree. I think if you're coming at it from a purely self-defense perspective, and you're not looking to get like become the next next MMA fighter. I think grappling helps a, a crap ton if you're trying to use your firearm in a more efficient manner. Uh, not to you know show off how much more, how much more of a dork I am, but the John Wick films are an you know, over exaggeration of that of that respect because half the time he's. He's only doing like judo and jiu-jitsu, but he's doing it in a way like, oh, someone's grabbing me, I'm getting him off of me, or I'm able to manipulate my context of my body around him to then eliminate the threat. So, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing triangle chokes and then headshots. A little, little dangerous, a little, little close to your foot. But, yeah. Um, you know, real quick, this is kind of uh, unrelated to everything else we talked about, more about what, you know, more, you know, more in relation to what you do in your community. I guess 
if you feel open to talking about it, what's sort of the organizing work you do or work causes you kind of wish you wish to direct more uh, attention to? You know, so one thing that I do is I, I teach uh, jujitsu locally, um, one in kind of like a commercial gym setting. And two, I teach jujitsu to my friends um, on mats that I own in a personal space. And, you know, what's really interesting is like, there's a lot of like hardcore posturing online about being tough and, you know, a fascist trained to date at you. But do you know how hard it is to get someone to come train jujitsu like one day a week consistently? It's like pulling teeth. Um, you know, I'm in a city of I don't know how many thousand people. Um, and I've got ne- networks of people and friends of friends. And there are people who do show up every week to, you know, learn free jujitsu from, you know, a qualified instructor, which I would say I am um, as a brown belt. Brown belts are not easy to get in jujitsu. But um you can see this really grinds my gears that I'm offering the service to people in my community and, you know, people aren't taking advantage of it. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little upset because I used to like learn jujitsu for free from a friend. And if we were in the same area, I would be there like two to three times a week. <laughs> of course. Of course. I, I wish I had that in, in my area, to be honest. Yeah, This is what I'm talking about. Like I, I Jesse, 100% I, I relate because I've been, I've, I've done, sessions with people like martial arts health defense stuff whatever um for a really long time for you know with, with local leftists people who can't afford to go to you know schools and such i'm like all right well here it is right but it's you know it's a once a week thing and it, it is like pulling teeth to, to come on like a sunday morning or something to a park to do like the most basic stuff and it's like well, we can't progress somewhere if you're not the one showing up consistently and or practicing, right? And I, mean, I was telling the everyone in YBT, it's like you know, like you know what's harder than trying to get leftists to dry fire regularly, trying to throw a jab cross regularly. Are you shitting me? Like, God. And grappling, I can, I don't, I don't even want to imagine grappling because vast majority of people don't like the idea of sweaty dudes on top of them. You know, I know I didn't, but I still did it for a while. And like it's people like you know you talk to, uh, a lot of times it's you know it's it's femme people or, or or women who feel understandably so the most uncomfortable doing jujitsu and I say to them is like well that's kind of the point because do you think for a second if someone wants to assault you they give two shits about how comfortable you are that's kind of the point and I, it's a chud cliche but get uncom get comfortable being uncomfortable because otherwise you're just setting yourself for the worst possible failure when it happens to you. And I, I really wish that point was driven more home that like people should be great, very grateful and wish they had resources kind of like yourself out there. You know, I'm not going to put myself at the same level as you. I was never like a qualified, uh, you know, instructor in a martial art. I was just some dork trying to teach some people some techniques they didn't know, you know, in the park. But yeah, I, it grinds my gears to no end. Uh, I, it also kind of just makes you like, eh, it's like, why do I even try? If you, you're not showing me, you care enough to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Jesse. No, you're all good. I'm just saying it, it really grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. And from, you know, I, you know, you're coming more from the teaching angle. I'm coming more from the learning angle. Like, it's frustrating that, like, you know, I don't have access to that. But, um, you know, kind of going to Soji's point about, you know, getting leftists to, like, dry fire or to, like, throw a jab, you know, uh, I think it goes, you know, speaks to a larger uh, 
like when it comes to self-defense, right? Like part of it is accepting personal responsibility for like your own safety and well-being. And I think that's something that like a lot of people like still haven't really unpacked. And I feel like I'm going to go on a long tangent, right? But you know, people are like abolish the police, which like 100% behind. But also they don't have the thought of like, okay, but like, how am I going to protect myself and the people I care about from threats like fascists and stuff like that, right? Like, I think a lot of people haven't taken that next step or like haven't really dedicated themselves to that, right? Which is why, you know, you don't see people making the time to show out like one time a week is like really not that bad, right? Like you probably go for like coffee or go to the gym like once a week, you know? So I, I do wish more people would make use of, you know, if if Jesse's in your area, hit him up for jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah, to all those people who know me yeah. in real life, yeah. like, please train before I get disheartened and give up. And if you train more, I will teach more. <laughs> yeah, it, it's there you go. You, you you heard it here, folks. Uh, Jesse's jiu-jitsu services are, are, are open. <laughs> please accept. Um, and uh, Jesse's Underground Fight Club, it's a if you know, you know. <laughs> God damn it, John! You broke the first rule. We'll have to edit this out of the podcast. You write, you write a book, you know your own <laughs> your own your own podcast, like every like every, like everyone else. The Fight Club. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think that's that's it for all the things we have to ask ask you. Um, I guess real quick, Jesse, um, where can people find you on social media platforms or anywhere else online? Yeah, mostly on Instagram. Uh, you'll find me at hevalti.tactical. So that's H-E-V-A-L-T-I dot tactical. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty friendly person. Feel free to DM me stuff. Uh, you'll also find on my link tree a guide I wrote to setting up battle belts and also getting your first AR put together. Um, I've gotten good feedback on it and incorporated that as well. And... That's where you'll find me. Who 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 ins- who inspires who inspires you and like makes you wanna makes you wanna like train and do better? You know what I mean? Like that's. Ooh, not, I wish I would have you know. prepared for this. Um, I mean, I feel like I should give shout outs to people. I don't know who exactly. My own failures. <laughs> 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 my own failures inspire me the most. <laughs> shout out to me for fucking up and doing a better job the next time <laughs> yeah that's yeah that we gotta keep we, we gotta keep that in you have to do one of those like podcasty things where you lead in with something that happens in the podcast you know yeah and then you go into the introduction that's actually a good one we gotta yeah. keep that in that's that's excellent yeah. shout out to my own failures <laughs> shout out to the tactical girlfriend for doing god's work and making good content shout out to failure for fucking up and doing better the next time um <laughs> yeah that's how it works that's how we get better all right well that this has been yellow peril tactical the tiger block podcast and until next time we're signing off see you later where the people gather